It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Americans' views of crime and safety are changing. While violent crime is going down, fewer Americans feel safe. And more think the criminal justice system is not tough enough. 40% of Americans, this is a big increase, are afraid to walk alone at night. 28% of Americans worry about getting murdered. I'm Lisa Brady. Trying to be everywhere for everyone over the holidays can really take a toll. And certain topics can be stressful, too. One of the major issues I I see that we tend to have is uh, being able to set up or maintain our boundaries. And when we don't do that, things can quickly uh, become unraveled. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. As we head into the holidays, it may be a bit less cheerful for many. Lending Club finds 60% of us are living paycheck to paycheck, and more of us are afraid of crime. 40% of us said in an October Gallup poll that we are afraid to walk at night alone in our own neighborhoods. Nearly 60% of us think the U.S. criminal justice system is not tough enough in its handling of crime. That is up 17 points in three years. Last year, working with our state and local partners through our hundreds of FBI-led violent crime task forces, we arrested more than 20,000 violent criminals. FBI Director Christopher Wray told a congressional hearing in April. That's an average of 55 bad guys taken off the streets per day, every day. The combination of Americans' fears with a shortage of police officers has some looking to private companies. Fox News reporter Bowen Kondrovich says in New Orleans, they're down 100 officers in two years and residents in some neighborhoods are worried. I feel like the crime has gotten pretty out of control. It's one of the first things that everybody talks about when they're talking about the city. Peter and Raylan Loop say their neighborhood voted to hire private security to patrol their streets. Raylan says it gives her a little more peace of mind. I keep them on speed dial. They're in my favorites, and I tell everyone in the neighborhood to do that as well. Some government officials, though, have a different idea about how to reduce crime. New York's Governor Kathy Hochul signed legislation that seals the criminal records for millions. And I believe that the best anti-crime tool we have is a job. When people have steady work, they're less likely to commit crimes and less likely to be homeless. While more serious crimes cannot be hidden, proponents of so-called clean slate legislation hope it reduces recidivism rates by eliminating the bias employers and landlords may have against those with criminal records. But as Americans' fears about crime increase, crime does drop a bit. There's a small drop in murders and in shootings, at least among adults, not necessarily among youth crime and violence, which continues to rise. And that's positive. Hannah Myers is the director of policing and public safety at the Manhattan Institute, and she worked in the NYPD's Intelligence Bureau for five years. But overall, we're nowhere near where we were in 2019. I mean, if you look at New York City, which is pretty emblematic of other cities in the country, we had 40 percent more major felonies last year than in 2019. You know, even compared to 2021, we are 20 percent above where we were for grand larcenies and pettit larcenies and robberies. And then what everyone's seeing across the country is that auto theft is up over 50 percent still relative to two years ago. 
we're up significantly relative to 2010, which is not a good sign. Um, new Gallup poll out says 58% of us do not think the criminal justice system is tough enough. That is up 17 points in just three years. And this poll also found that 49% think the criminal justice system is fair. That's down from 66% in 2003. These are really big swings, but I mean, almost 60% of us feel like the criminal justice system isn't doing what it needs to be doing. I mean, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? It really does. And I think the the other recent poll showing that how much more people feel a lack of trust for strangers, for other people on the street, for people in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And their level of fear really speaks to a shifting perception of crime within communities and changes behaviors about crimes within communities and highlights what we have been ignoring in the past few years. But we know, which is that in order for communities to police themselves to any extent, they need police involvement there, just as police, in order to be effective, need the community to be in partnership with them. Yeah, not to invoke broken windows, but that was a really good metaphor for describing these community dynamics, the dynamics of informal social controls where um, people need to feel trust and people need to feel a willingness to intervene when they see that there's a problem in their community. Um, and, and what the recent Gallup poll showed is that 40% of Americans, this is a big increase, are afraid to walk alone at night. 28% of Americans worry about getting murdered. That that, I, that is, blew my mind when I read that. I, I Yeah, that was really disturbing. So disturbing. But when you think about it, I mean, I'm a typical subway commuter in the city. And now when I am accidentally alone on a platform with someone that seems mentally disturbed, I put my head down, I walk really fast, and I think in my head, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me oh my <laughs> to Lord. ward it off, you know, because so far this year, we've only we've had six homicides in the subway system, which is good to go back to the bigger trends, because last year we had 11. But it's bad because in the over a decade prior, we only had one to two murders a year in the entire New York City transit system when there were far more commuters on a daily basis there. You are still twice as likely to be the victim of a dangerous crime in the subway now than you were in, in 2019. I want to ask you this because to the 40% number, to these numbers about fear, you know, I wonder, mm -hmm. is part of this the internet and cameras being everywhere? Like, are we all consuming and seeing all of this too much? You know, and back in the eighties and nineties, when we were, when I was growing up, you know, mm -hmm. you would read the newspaper. You wouldn't see all of this constantly as a reminder that it's dangerous out there. Now we have all these CCTV cameras. We can replay footage for you. We can show you what happened on the ring camera. Is some of that adding to this sense of fear? Because normally we wouldn't have seen that kind of thing. I think the data speaks for itself. You know, the, all the footage and cell phone cameras do change perception of crime a lot. They certainly change perception of law enforcement and how law enforcement behave, you know, but the increase in crime also speaks for itself. And I think for people, their experience walking down the street is just as, you know, you experience the economy by when you go to the grocery store. I think when you walk with kids to school, like, do you have to switch the side of the sidewalk that you're on? Are there concerts mm -hmm. that you're no longer going to? Like this poll found that a third of the responders to the poll said they now avoid certain areas and they skip concerts and sports games because of crime. Um, I think that really informs how people feel about their perception of safety. And I think more so than video cameras and like exposure to images of crime, it has been these fictions that 
Um, crime only happens because, and, dis, and, and antisocial disorderly activity only happens because people are desperate and they are so in need and so oppressed that they have no choice but to commit crime. And the fiction that the criminal justice system makes crime and disorder worse, and in some cases is the real cause of crime and disorder. And finally, the, the fiction that communities, to go back to the earlier point, can just police themselves without... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think people have become were uncomfortable for the last few years acknowledging they love their communities and they want them to feel a certain way and they don't want businesses to get shoplifted. Um, and I think because of a kind of a, a narrative about, you know, the taint of privilege in the idea that you're afraid of crime and that you should be able to go to concerts at night wherever you want, even if you're a little woman, um, <laughs> I think has really shifted. It has shifted actual policy. Um, and people didn't see it coming and didn't quite understand how we got here when all we wanted to do was, you know, help criminal defendants and, and people who are in need of other kinds of services. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about what we've seen in terms of, I guess, actions, right? We've seen, we've seen, um, people not being charged with crimes. We've seen no more cash bail, right? We, right? I wonder if this is in the same vein when we see the New York governor signing legislation that will seal the criminal records of millions of people. This isn't new, right? This has happened in other states. So correct. What's the, does sealing criminal records of people, does that, is that part of the criminal justice narrative and conversation of, you know, change shifting the future uh, for, for people who've, who have records? Yeah, I think like so many of the other, you know, you mentioned bail reform, which in New York passed in 2020. We had discovery reform pass in 2020, parole reform in 2021, uh, raise the age in 2017. And a lot of these shifts just with this big as as with this bigger narrative about, hey, we want a lighter touch of police are based on good ethical and reasonable ideas about justice and fairness and public safety, right? So we we are reasonable and ethical people, and we don't want individuals who have served their time, who have then had extended good behavior, um, and who we feel are not a danger, we don't want them crippled in their ability to thrive and have jobs and find apartments by um, a conviction for which they have now served their time and, and it shouldn't hang over them. I think we can all agree that that's a good impetus for reform, as are the impetuses for other criminal justice reforms. I guess it um, depends, though, on what crime you you committed, right? Like, what, what are we stealing? Yes, absolutely. So a lot of what has gone wrong in all these reforms is the details of the reform. So there's good news and bad news about Clean Slate. And that I do think that the tide is turning a little in that, unlike those earlier reforms in New York State and elsewhere, there has been improvements to the bill itself since it was first enacted by our okay. very liberal legislature in the spring. Um Two important changes that I'll name is the first that now there are at least certain serious felonies and certain sex crimes that will not be automatically sealed. And this is automatic sealing, which is uh, very different than the former process where you could apply for your conviction to be sealed. And the other important shift since the legislature drafted something ridiculous in the spring is that now police and prosecutors can see all of these records which is major because in order for them to intelligently do their job, they have to be able to know a person's prior convictions. I was going to say, like, what if somebody gets out, you know, and they commit another crime and their record's been sealed? You, you, you would think that judges, prosecutors, everybody involved in the arrest of that person and the prosecution of that person would want to know what their, what they had previously done if they had done anything. 
Well, many New York state legislators and policymakers disagree with you, but but that's absolutely true. Um, and thankfully, that was shifted. But there are the bad news about Clean Slate, as it has been signed by the governor last week, is that we are still knowingly increasing public safety risk in it, in that it is now an automatic sealing process. So after a certain number of years for a felony and a certain number of years for a misdemeanor, your, your conviction is automatically sealed unless you're one of these few uh, exceptions. I think we could aim better than that. And the second is that because of the way the, the technology, because of the way it's been written now, we can't seal convictions or rather people will still have their convictions sealed even if they have other convictions or open cases in other jurisdictions. So your case will still be sealed, your convictions will still be sealed in New York, even if you have open cases pending in New Jersey. And uh, yes, absolutely, or if you're on parole, it won't be part of what is considered in what say an employer uh, you know, we'll see when he's looking at your application. And that is a, a huge flaw. And as a society, we have been and we should continue moving toward finding the nuances in each one of these cases. But the, the legislation is written just releases everyone without concern to dangerousness. Um, so you, know, for get, certain- you say nuance. It, it, that's the word, right? I mean, you have to consider each individual case in person. You can't just I understand you have to write a blanket mm-hmm. law to to, you know, to apply to people. But then then there has to be further consideration. And you're saying that that is maybe yes. <laughs> not happening. That is totally lost. I mean, consider a different form of the of the bill where since we already, you know, people with convictions um, can still could already apply to have their convictions sealed with a judge. What if we allocated funding for more, you know, criminal defense attorneys to help them with that process? You know, I think that's a more responsible way to do it. I, I think part of why we're in such a, a national cluster fudge, if you will, on crime and public safety and perception is that we lost the ability to have that that kind of nuance and people got too scared and uncomfortable to demand it because they felt, you know, admirably in in most cases, a a desire to have a system that appeared fair and just and beyond reproach. And they didn't weigh in the realities of crime and how nuanced responses have to be to really make things better. Hannah Myers, Director of Policing and Public Safety at the Manhattan Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. 
So why stress over home projects when you could turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. For all the joys of the holiday season, it's also a time of high anxiety for some, especially gatherings with friends and family who might not all be on the same page politically. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. He's the most incompetent president we've ever had. He's the worst president we've ever had. He's a total crook. In a Quinnipiac University poll released this week, 29% of people surveyed said they're looking forward to talking politics over Thanksgiving. Twice as many, 60%, said they'd rather not. Just one of the reasons the season of giving is also a time of stress for a lot of people. Well, certainly people have what's called the holiday blues. And a lot of that uh, comes from the expectations of being present at all times and having to... Um, be able to reach the expectations set by others and what traditionally we see as part of the holidays. Dr. Jeff Cardair is a family psychologist and associate professor at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine in New York. But of course, we also know that in these very uh, tough times, um, especially politically, uh, that it is difficult for folks to get together uh, because of some of the uh, conversations that they may have uh, at the dinner table that could, um, you know, go in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Should we just try to avoid certain topics like politics or does that really depend on the dynamic of a particular family or gathering? Lisa, I think you answered it. Uh, It really is about the gathering of the people, uh, if they are respectful to one another, uh, if they are willing to listen and learn something new. Uh, It's not about who wins or or who loses, because we know when it comes to, you know, conflicts, uh, wars, um, you know, anything having to do with, um, you know, people uh, going up against one another, that there really are no true winners. So it's really about understanding one another, uh, if we have that kind of a gathering or that kind of a family. But even for families, Lisa, who may not Uh, have that kind of sensibility. Uh, Certainly, it's okay to set ground rules uh, for the dinner table as to what it is that can be discussed, uh, what shouldn't be discussed because it may be so sensitive uh, or the timing may not be right, or uh, a situation um, as to um, if they do want to discuss something, uh, the importance of uh, being kind and respectful to one another as part of those ground rules. I guess if things really start to get tense, you know, the tricky part is, is there an escape hatch without damaging any relationships? Absolutely. Uh, Being able to call a timeout and actually saying, hey, let's take a timeout. If they can do it in football, we could certainly do it uh, uh, at the dinner table, uh, have a um, an assessment as to what was said, what it is that we learned, giving people some credit as to the actual points that they made, and then being able to say, okay, let's turn to another subject or let's go to dessert or let's do some karaoke. 
<laughs> Another um, tricky part of navigating this is the fact that at a special occasion like Thanksgiving, we're often mixing with people we don't usually see, even family members that we don't see that often. So it can be harder to gauge people's comfort levels, people's um, thresholds, if you will, for certain things. You know, what are some ways to navigate the whole situation without stressing so much about it? When it comes down to people we haven't seen in a long time, but especially with family, uh, no matter how much distance uh, there has been as far as time, we see that the old dynamics come into place. Uh, I don't care whether someone has become a successful broadcaster like you or um, or a doctor or whatever the case may be. But when we come back together in that family uh, and or friend circle, we seem to go back to the original uh, dynamics, whether they're successful or dysfunctional or whatever they have. So it's really important to remind ourselves before we leave the comfort of our own homes that we should try to pause, take a beat. And if you see something, a dynamic that is, um, you know, once again, resurfacing, uh, be able to say, oh, this seems like old times and it wasn't successful the first time. Let's think of a different way to do things. So it really does come down to saying, let's not talk to one another as we once did back in the day where someone was a parent and another was a child or it was child to child. Now let's talk as adult to adult. Yes, we are adults. Yes, we respect one another. Um, those are the things, those are the words, the rules that need to be put out there, the words that need to be said for us to have civil conversation and not drop back to, remember the old Smothers Brothers, you may be too young for that. Mom always did like you best. <laughs> we don't want to get into that. Uh, focus on the on the evolved versions of our ourselves, as it were. You just said it better than me, Lisa. <laughs> There's one tip from the American Psychiatric Association I wanted to ask you about. They, they suggest, you know, trying not to be ashamed uh, and to say no to situations that stress you out. Now, that's easier said than done when it comes to family and especially when it comes to holiday traditions. How do you say no if you, you know, decide up front, look, I'm not coming because X, Y and Z just makes me uncomfortable. I'm really anxious about it. I mean, it's it's sometimes it's hard to be that honest because of the fear of making things worse. Yeah, one of the major issues I, I see that we tend to have is uh, being able to set up or maintain our boundaries. And when we don't do that, things can quickly uh, become unraveled because then we no longer have that protection that we need psychologically or emotionally. So you can say no, but I would say it in the exact same way that you did. I wouldn't say, no, I'm not coming or no, I don't want to discuss this, but being able to say I'm not comfortable with this particular situation because of. I'm not trying to throw shade towards anyone, but I know what my comfort level is, and I'd rather do things a particular way or get into a particular conversation or stay away from a particular conversation or knowing that someone will be there that I believe may turn into a negative interaction. Uh, I don't want to inconvenience others, so best if I stay home. 
family drama, certainly a big reason for a lot of this holiday stress, as we've been discussing. There's also added financial stress. Then you throw in um, all of the people traveling over the holiday season. That's built-in stress. What's the best way to, to navigate some of that overall holiday stress, aside from the family gatherings? Yeah, I I think it's really important uh, during the holidays more than anything else um, to not overdo it on what we eat, what we drink, the hours that we keep, the parties that we attend, the family drama. So making a conscious decision either on your own or with your mate or with your family or with your friends um, first and foremost, these are the places that I can go. I'm not going to overdo it and overstress my body. Number one. Number two, I'd love to visit you out, you know, wherever it may be in America, but knowing what the travel uh, hardships may be, either financially or with what's happening with weather and so on, travel delays, I will come and see you a couple of days after Thanksgiving, or we can have a Thanksgiving, you know, on Zoom or on on Doxy or whatever that may be, some sort of, you know, some sort of a video platform. Um, I think it's also important to get the proper amount of rest. I was talking to one of my patients about this. You shouldn't just set the time that you want to get to someplace on time, but you should also set the time that you're going to leave. So you really have to pay attention because during Thanksgiving and the other holidays, we just tend to overdo it on everything. And then we feel terrible afterwards. We overspend. Then we feel terrible afterwards. We put on all these calories. Then we feel terrible afterwards. Well, I've got an idea. Why don't we just plan things out and mitigate as much as possible and stay within those boundaries that I talked about. Yeah, and a lot of it does come down um, in all these categories to boundaries and really to maintaining self-care, which a lot of us aren't very good about to begin with. And then it seems like we just throw our normal routines out the window for the holiday season. That's right. And then we feel terrible. We feel guilty. Physically, we don't feel well. And then what was the point of all of that? So if you want to be able to have your cake and eat it too, just take a slice. I just wanted to ask you one other thing that has come up recently from both the U.S. Surgeon General and the World Health Organization. They've been shining a light on loneliness and its its impact on health. Yes. Um, so for someone who's isolated, especially not by choice, what advice can you offer for them or anyone who might know someone they could reach out to? Yes. Uh, so loneliness, as we know from our Surgeon General, as you brought up, uh, is at an epidemic uh, rate at this point. Uh, and so it's really important that folks who are isolated by no effort of their own, or it's not something that they really want to do, but it's been imposed on them uh, for many different reasons, whether poverty, whether age, whether illness, um, that as part of the holiday uh, tradition, and and I've got to live by this too, there's someone I need to go see, you know, uh, at a nursing home. So if you talk the talk, you better walk the walk. I'm giving myself therapy here. Um, that it is important that we spend time, even if it's just a few minutes, visiting, bringing food, 
calling in, checking in as to how they're doing, um, being able to find out what it is that they may need, but making sure that we stay in touch and in contact with those who are lonely, who are isolated, who are by themselves. So they know someone cares. Really, yes. really important. And Dr. that's everything. Dr. Jeff Gardere, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Lisa, thank you for your great questions. Happy holidays and happy Thanksgiving. And in other news. I'm Gianna Gelosi. New York once again has the dubious distinction of being labeled the least free state in America, according to a report by the Cato Institute think tank. New York ranked 50th for economic freedom and scored at or near the bottom for debt. At 25.6% of income, state and local taxes, government consumption, land use, and labor policy. Wealthy residents of New York pay amongst the highest state and local income taxes, nearly 15% at the top level. Florida, by comparison, ranks high on the list, second, because it does not impose an income tax on its residents. The freest state was the live free or die state of New Hampshire. Governor Chris Sununu said the secret sauce is local control and a ground-up approach to civic engagement. New York has ranked last in every Cato study since it started reviewing data in 2000. Neighboring New Jersey fared little better, ranking 47th, California ranked 48th, and Hawaii 49th. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? As you listen to this, millions of Americans are getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. Except in the White House, where Joe Biden's telling people Happy Easter. That's a cheap political joke, but seeing as politics are such a divisive issue these days, I made a list of Thanksgiving fun facts so your dinner conversation won't end with someone getting beat by a drumstick. I'm no good Samaritan. It just kills me to see food get wasted like that. Especially when you consider how high the price of turkey has gotten under Biden. Okay, that's going to do it on the politics for real this time. So check it out. The first Thanksgiving celebration took place in 1621, and it lasted for three days. So if you think you were counting down the minutes till you could flee your family, imagine how they felt. And there were no football games to distract people, because that Thanksgiving tradition didn't begin until 1876, when Yale squared off against Princeton. Of course, the student-athletes at the Ivy League football teams stopped playing on Thanksgiving, once they realized how much money they could make selling term papers to the players at the big-time football schools. Historians have no record of turkey being eaten at the first Thanksgiving celebration and say it's far more likely that ducks, geese, and swans were served because they were far more prevalent in the region. Plus, the turkey place didn't deliver, so screw them. Thanksgiving celebrations originally took place in October, and it wasn't until 240 years later that Abraham Lincoln moved the holiday to November to coincide with the pilgrims landing on Plymouth Rock. Plus, like most parents, Abe was so full from eating all his kids' Halloween candy He didn't need to tack on four score and seven years' worth of turkey and pumpkin pie in the same week. Speaking of presidents, Calvin Coolidge was the first to pardon a raccoon in 1926 when he refused to eat one that someone sent him for Thanksgiving dinner. 
Coolidge and his wife were big animal lovers, and besides, if he did want to eat raccoon meat, he would have went to White Castle. There's widespread debate over which president was the first to pardon a turkey, but we do know that Bill Clinton was the first to pardon an intern. And lastly, the Christmas song you know as Jingle Bells was originally a Thanksgiving song called One Horse Open Sleigh when it was released in 1857. It wasn't until two years later that they changed the name to Jingle Bells to fit with the Christmas theme. Although we've had so many flight delays this year, the public might be ready to take a one-horse open sleigh. Happy Thanksgiving. And whatever you do, don't fight your family. You'll need all that violent aggression to go shopping on Black Friday. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to 3 on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.